How's everybody doing? Yeah? You alive? Are you out there? Okay. Because I'm not going to preach on all dead people. So we're beginning a brand new series, four-week series today on the book of Philippians, which is why you just heard the entire first chapter of Philippians. There are four chapters in the book of Philippians, and so each week we're going to focus on one chapter in this series. There's so much goodness in this book of Philippians um, that we're not going to be able to cover it all in the next four weeks. So we're actually going to extend our services to be about three hours long over the next four weeks. I'm just kidding. There's no way we can cover it all, which is why we wanted to start each week with a reading of the chapter. And we would, our prayer is that you'll hear what we have to say in these few moments that we have, but then you'll be able to go back in and find your own revelations through what is in each chapter, because there's, there's just so much. So I want to set the stage for this series and I want to give you a little bit of background on the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is in the New Testament after the Gospels. It's one of the letters that was written by Paul to the churches in the early church. Paul had formerly been Saul, and he was a persecutor and a killer of Christians. Just let that sink in for a moment. The book we're about to study was written by a man who killed people just like you and me. I want to park in this moment for just a few minutes because some of you out there, even as you're following Jesus, even though you have chosen to pursue a life following God, you still think you aren't capable or talented enough for God to use you to further his kingdom. Some of you are Paul, but you're still living like Saul. God's ready to use you, but you are still holding on to what has been in the past. You need to go back and read the account of this man, Saul, who hated Christians and devoted his life to extinguishing them only to have God radically change his path and him go on to become the man who spread the gospel further than anyone in history. Maybe you're right. Maybe you are too messed up for God to use you. Your past is littered with bad choices. Your, your present is chaotic. You've been abused. You've been the abuser. You yell at your kids. Your marriage is a mess, even though you're faking it instead of working to fix it. You've been a hurtful friend. You're selfish, and you are so full of pride. It's just that God kind of has a history of using really messed up, insufferable people to change the world. The Bible is full of them. And when we look beyond the Bible, history is full of them. Guess what? You out there who think you're too messed up for God to use, you're the ones he loves to use because he loves redemption stories. So stop the excuses. Here's the thing. 
God will use messed up, broken people, but it requires that there be a change, a change of heart or a change in your actions. Maybe that's one of the reasons I love Paul so much. He experienced this radical call of God, and then he made a change. It took God doing a work in him and Paul doing a work in himself. He made a change in his actions, and he was all in. When he was against Jesus, he went at it with a vengeance. He was even willing to kill people that were for Jesus. But when his life was changed, he literally gave his own life to spread the gospel of Jesus. There was no in-between for him. He was all in. Some of you are living in the in-between. Someone in here needs to hear that today. It's time to get out of the in-between and be all in. Nothing in your past, nothing in your present can disqualify you from being used by God. You have heard me say this before, and I am going to keep saying it. You are letting your past dictate your present and your future. Saul killed followers of Jesus, and God chose him to be the one to change the world with the gospel. I feel like all of our excuses after that are mute points. You have to make a choice to stop letting it hold you back, and you have to make a change. You have to have a heart change and make an action change. So we've established that Paul wrote the book of Philippians, but to get the whole context of this book, we need to go back to the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Now Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Sometimes the Holy Spirit tells you to stop even though you think you're doing what God has called you to do. Then, coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Messiah to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day, we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, which was a major city of that district in Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to the riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. 
As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer of the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Here's what you need to know about Philippi, the city of Philippi. Paul had not planned to go there until he had this dream. And that changed his plans. It appears that there were so few Jewish people, specifically Jewish men in Philippi, that there was no need for a temple. That is why they went down to the riverbank to see if they could find anyone who was there worshiping God and pray with them. I think it's interesting that all they found were women. There were no men in the city leading their families in the ways of the Lord. At the riverbank, he meets Lydia. Lydia is an influential woman in the city, and she goes on to accept Jesus, and she opens up her home to all the believers in Philippi because there was no temple for them to gather in, so she opens up her home, and she is the first person on record to accept Jesus in Europe. Then we go on in Acts 16, starting in verse 16. These stories are awesome, so get ready. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted at the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice, which was true. It was illegal to follow Jesus if you were a Roman. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken off its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to the jailer. Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city of officials have said, you and Silas are free to go, go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. 
When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. That's the history of Paul and Philippi. That's how he got to Philippi and what happened to him when he was in Philippi. The city and church in Philippi became a strategic inroad for the gospel to be spread all over Europe. It was the beginning of the gospel going further than it had ever gone before. God had a plan when he sent Paul to Philippi. Even though Paul was wrongly accused, was beaten, was thrown in prison, and was kicked out of town, God had a plan for that town. This is what brings us to the book of Philippians. Paul, as he's writing this to these people in Philippi, has this deep gut love for these people. This isn't to some random people that he had met once or twice. These are people that he had gone through battle with. So as I read what he says to them, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind that he's writing to them as people that he dearly loves. Beginning in Philippians 1, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. So it is right that I should feel as I do about you, for you have a special place in my heart. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. That's context for what he's writing to these people. He's sharing all this insight and all this encouragement with people he dearly loves. So let's find out what he's saying to them. By a show of hands or shout out, because you can shout in church, let me know if anyone agrees with these. Is there anyone here, and please be honest, like I know you're in church, but you can stop faking. It's okay. Is there anyone here that would say that they felt down in the dumps this week? Anyone that was discouraged by something that happened in your week? Okay. I'm speaking to the right crowd. Anyone feel like everyone else seems to be happy most of the time, but you aren't happy that often? Happiness is far away from you? How about when you hear something that isn't fun to hear? A a big bill that you weren't expecting comes in the mail or somebody says something to you that's, that's not true or you hear that someone said something about you that's untrue and you're instantly in the depths of despair, like down in the muck. Anybody relate to that? How many of you would say that whatever is going on in your life, whatever circumstances are happening right now is what determines whether or not you feel joy? few weeks ago, I got a smack upside the head on this one. The, many of you have been to our house, and um, if you haven't been there, our backyard, 
we live in the middle of the city, and our backyard is like a park. We have our yard, and then we have another property that's not our property that's all grass and a little ravine and then a, a beautiful grove of trees. And we actually bought our house um, in, in some part based on the fact that our backyard looked like a park, and we were like two steps from Starbucks. <laughs> so it was the best of both worlds. Well, on Mother's Day, and let me just tell you, that backyard was so peaceful. Like, you could walk out and, you know, sometimes smell the sushi that was three feet away. But it just, it was so peaceful, and the birds would sing, and there were those beautiful trees, and I, I loved it. Mother's Day came, and as we were getting ready to go to dinner, we noticed that there were some machines and some men back in those grove of trees, and they were cutting down a couple of the trees. We were like, what? What's going on? So we went to dinner, and we came back, and it was dark, and we couldn't see anything. Chris had gotten up really early to go on a work trip, and so I woke up the next morning and went to the window to look out, and all of the trees were down, cut down, laying flat on the ground. And that beautiful backyard with that serene grove of trees now looked different. I was like bummed right away. I mean, my day just went from, yeah, it's a good day to this day is awful. They weren't even my trees. <laughs> About 10 minutes later, my son says, hey, mom, there's glass all over the patio. I'm like, what? So I go downstairs, and I had these outdoor lights wrapped around the railing of my patio. And for whatever reason, if you're an electrician, you can explain to me what may have happened because I have no idea. Um, the wire had snapped in four different places and the little bulbs had broken everywhere. There was glass everywhere. I was so bummed out. Like, I, I loved those lights. You know, you plug them in at night and you just, ah, oh. <laughs> they just make you feel good. So it took me about an hour to clean that up. And after that hour was over, we got in the car to go to the library. And I started my car, and it kind of made a funny sound, but I ignored it because it'll go away. <laughs> Jesus can heal cars, people. Got into the library, came back out from the library, got in our car, pulled out of the parking lot in this terrible grinding, metal grinding sound began to happen. And then it smelled like something was on fire. Oh, no, I better not ignore that. <laughs> so I pour, pulled into a parking spot and thought, what do I do? Call Heidi. So I called Heidi, and she came and got us. And those three things ruined my day. Like, I felt like the world was ending. The trees, the lights, and now my car. And I walked out into our backyard, and as I was looking at the trees, wishing that they would stand back up, <laughs> I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Heather, they're just trees, they're just lights, and it's just a car. None of them matter. See, here's the thing. The trees weren't mine. They weren't even on my property. So whoever owns those trees had every right to do whatever they wanted with them. 
the lights were old. They'd been outside in the elements for two years, so it was time for them to burn out or break or something. And my car is like super old. We've thought for a while that it was gonna die. So the fact that it was making loud noises should come as no surprise. But yet for some reason, I let those three events ruin my day, take all of my joy. It was gone, I was grumpy, I was depressed, I was yelling at my kids, I was texting Chris who was going to, who knows, somewhere exotic, and (laughs) I was so down in the dumps because of things that didn't matter. Here's the thing though, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think many of us let our circumstances steal not only our happiness, but our joy too. We've mixed up happiness and joy. We've not only mixed them up, we've made them the same thing, and they are very different things. Happiness is a state of well-being. There are cookies in my cabinet. I feel happy. You all know you feel the same way. My floors are clean. Kit Bolt, I feel happy. There's enough money to pay all the bills. I feel happy. I got a new truck. I feel happy. My job is great. I feel happy. I got invited to that party. I feel happy. But happiness tends to be fleeting. And it depends on temporal factors like circumstances and other people. So when things around us don't go the way that we want them to go, we feel unhappy and we let that feeling of unhappiness, listen, dictate our actions and our attitudes. We let our unhappiness send us into self-pity. We become critical of others. Our unhappiness makes us anxious. We bite our nails and it sends us into depression. Joy on the other hand, does not depend on external factors because it is rooted in Jesus who gives it freely. Joy is given by God. Joy is something deep within us that isn't a flight risk. Joy is an orientation of our heart. Joy is given by the Holy Spirit when we are in fellowship with him. Joy is a product of acknowledging his presence in our lives. In Galatians, which is another book that's written by Paul, he says this. So I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, 
envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit, here we go, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we are actually letting the Holy Spirit guide our lives, we should never find ourselves without joy. This doesn't mean that we won't ever be unhappy. Life is unhappy sometimes. Things happen that make you unhappy. It is okay to be unhappy. It is not okay to be unjoyful. If you have a joy deficiency, then you have a Jesus deficiency. If you often find yourselves without joy, maybe you need to look at how you and the Holy Spirit are doing these days. Happiness comes from the outside. Joy comes from the inside. This is what Paul was saying to them at the very beginning of the book. It's what the whole book is about. Philippians 1 in verse 10, he says, For I want you to understand what really matters. It's not trees, lights, and a car. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Paul has joy because he has learned what really matters. Paul is in prison as he's writing this book of Philippians. Prison is not a happy place. But he knows that happiness and joy are different things. And he has learned that no matter what his circumstances are, he can have joy knowing that God is in control. I think we have it backwards. I think we let our happiness dictate our attitudes. Happiness comes from stuff. Happiness comes from other people, from things going well. Instead of letting our joy dictate our actions and our attitudes. Joy comes from Jesus. Happiness comes from the outside. Joy comes from the inside. And joy comes from Jesus. This thought changes everything. It means that we might actually be able to handle the junk that life brings us without panic attacks, without meltdowns, without days where we don't want to get out of bed. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit, and as long as we are in fellowship with him, we will have joy. We all know it's easy to feel joy when things are going well, but Paul takes it a step further. He's saying that there's joy even when things aren't going well. 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he says, I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. I definitely cannot say that I have reached that point when I feel afflicted. When my day doesn't go the way that I want it to, it's more like, who can I call to complain about my problems? Who will sympathize with my trees falling down in the backyard? Who will feel sorry for me? And I grump and I complain. 
but I want Paul-like joy, and I bet that some of you do too. So how do we get it? Psalm 1611 says, in his presence, listen to me, church, in his presence is fullness of joy. This is where it comes from. Joy comes when we are close to him, when we tune our hearts and our lives to him. It comes from his presence. Coming to church once a week and feeling his presence once a week doesn't cut it. Don't you dare make us responsible for your fill of God's presence in your lives. That is way too big of an expectation for you to put on us. And if we try, we will fail. You want joy? You want to be able to discern what really matters and let joy dictate your attitudes and your actions? You want to overcome those moments when happiness is absent and life throws something your way? To find joy in the midst of life's junk, then make his presence a daily priority. I don't need to spell it out for you. You're smart people. You know how to do that. But you have to do it. In his presence is fullness of joy. You have a joy deficiency, then you have a Jesus deficiency. If you are abiding in Jesus, you will never find yourself without joy. Only he can give you the joy that supersedes happiness, that doesn't leave the moment something goes downhill. When you have Jesus' joy, it doesn't leave when someone else lets you down. Listen to me. Joy stays. Joy stays when people leave. Joy stays when your kids get sick. Joy stays when the bills pile high. Joy stays when your husband or your wife disappoints you. Joy stays when cars break down. Joy stays when lights shatter all over your patio. Joy stays when babies don't sleep. Joy stays when the friend sends you a hurtful text. Joy stays when you lose your job. Joy stays. Happiness comes and goes, but joy stays because joy comes from Jesus. Paul goes one step further then. Philippians 1 verse 12. He says, and I want you to know my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Listen to me, this is, this is important. Our struggles and our hardships are not always about us. What you are going through may be for someone else. Your tough circumstance right now might lead to someone else's freedom. He says, because of my imprisonment, 
Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message. Paul was in chains, in prison, could not go out and spread the gospel. And because he was in prison, because of his affliction, other people gained boldness in sharing the gospel. And Paul recognized that. He knew his suffering wasn't about him. He had joy despite his circumstances, and he knew that it wasn't about him. He had heard about Jesus setting the standard. Hebrews 12, 2 says, because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Jesus knew that his suffering on the cross wasn't about him. It was about you and it was about me. You might be going through something right now that is actually not about you at all. It might be for someone else. Here's the thing, though. We have to stop confusing happiness and joy because trials will come. Hard things in life are going to happen to all of us, whether minor things like a car breaking down or a friend hurting our feelings or big things like kids with illnesses and spouses abandoning us. This is where if we have joy, from knowing and being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then we walk through the trials of life differently than if we base our feelings on happiness. And this is a daily thing. This is something that will affect your everyday life. When you face the things that life throws at you every day, and you've been in fellowship and been in communion with the Holy Spirit, when you're acknowledging his presence in your life, you walk through daily life differently. When we lean into Jesus, this leads to us being filled up with the Holy Spirit and he fills us with joy. And then when crap hits the fan, that joy is what dictates our attitudes and our actions. Some of you in here need to know that today. You need to know. You need to know that happiness comes and goes, but joy stays, and joy comes from Jesus. When you get the pile of bills and you don't know how you're going to pay it, happiness comes and goes, but joy stays, and joy comes from Jesus. When your baby won't sleep, and I know there's a lot of you in that place right now, happiness comes and goes, but joy stays, and joy comes from Jesus. When a friend hurts your feelings, happiness comes and goes, but joy stays, and joy comes from Jesus. Happiness comes and goes, but joy stays, and joy comes from Jesus. Here's what you're going to do. Every single one of you, I know this is kind of cheesy, but I don't care. See these little bouncy balls? They have smiley faces on them. Joy doesn't always mean you're smiling. Joy isn't fake. Joy isn't putting on a happy face when you really feel unhappy. It's knowing that God is in control, that you have been in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and that no matter what your circumstances are, you have the joy of the Lord inside of you. So this week, I want you to take these, and I want you to put them somewhere where you will see them on a daily basis. Maybe it's in your bathroom. Maybe it's in your car, in your dashboard. Maybe it's at your desk. 
put it somewhere. Maybe it's next to your coffee maker. That's a good idea. Put them somewhere where you will see this and you will remember that happiness comes and goes, but joy stays and joy comes from Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your presence here today. I thank you that even though we go through these trials and life throws us things that just feel too heavy, that cause us unhappiness, God, that you are the source of joy despite our circumstances. I pray, Jesus, that as we leave here today, that we will remember to base our attitudes and our actions not on our happiness, but on our joy. We love you so much, Jesus. If you would all just stand with me, we're gonna respond to this by singing this song, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul. You've all heard this before, but I have to tell you because it's the best story ever. A man was going across the ocean and his family was coming after him and he gets a message from his family that his entire family has been lost at sea in a storm. And then he writes this song, It is well with my soul. May that be the kind of people in this church that when storms come, when things don't go our way, when our day just goes downhill fast, we are able to say, it is well with my soul.